0: Hey, everybody, this is Gene Marks and welcome back to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. Really happy to have you here and really excited and thrilled uh, to have one of my heroes in business on the line with me today. Uh, It's Dr. Robert Cialdini. Uh, Dr. Cialdini is the three time New York Times author of Influence and Persuasion. Collectively, his books have sold over seven million copies. Dr. Cialdini is an award-winning professor emeritus of psychology and marketing and has spent over 30 years designing, conducting, and publishing peer-reviewed research on the ethical applications of influence and why people say yes to requests. And I think, Dr. Cialdini, as I'm I'm saying this, you're probably feeling pretty old, so I I don't mean to make (laughs) you feel old here. Uh, But it's your bio, right? It's your introduction. Um, And and Dr. Cialdini, who I'm going to call Bob as we go forward, he's just published his newest book, Influence New and Expanded. So- uh Bob, Dr. Chaudini, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to it, Gene, I have to say.
0: Good. I'm, I'm glad. I, you know, you know, like we we just talked about before we actually started recording this, um, you know, our audience here are small business owners. Uh Bob, I'm a small business owner myself. I've been, you know, I have a 10-person company outside of Philadelphia. Um, I am constantly um, you know, I've revisited your book many times because I do find myself uh, you know, constantly caught up in negotiations and not just professionally but also personally and your book has had a huge influence on me so first of all let's let's start at the beginning tell us a little bit about influence and your newest book influence new and expanded well you know
1: there are a lot of ways to be influential uh, we can pay people to move in our direction we can punish them if they they don't, we can order them if we're in charge of them. We can even trick them into uh, compliance with our wishes. All of those, though, carry costs, either financial or social capital costs. My preference is to use a route to, to influence that is costless, persuasion. We just change the way we present our case to uh, our audience in ways that the research literature shows will be more effective than presenting it in some other way.
0: You know, it is, um, it, it's a powerful statement to make because, you know, we, being a person that spends a lot of time in sales and marketing, as a lot of business owners do, um, you quickly learn that you, you can't put a gun to somebody's head and say, buy from me or or, or, or side with me on this issue. Um, these things do take uh, time um, and, and not only do they take time, but, you know, decision making takes a lot of effort and it, it takes us, you know, um, you know, to have some skill to be able to persuade people to do what we think is is, is what's best. Now, your books, um, you, you discuss about six core factors, six core principles, really, that are behind uh, the art of influence and persuasion. Uh, there's reciprocity, there's scarcity, there's authority, there's uh, commitment and consistency, there's liking, and there's consensus. And in your new book, you actually added another principle called mm-hmm. unity. So what I'd like to do um, in the in the time that we have, and I think we've got like three or four hours to spend together on this. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, I'd like to go through each one of these principles and have you explain each one. So let's start with reciprocity. How does reciprocity uh, factor into Uh, influencing a person
1: well reciprocity has to do with a rule that is installed in uh, children from in every child in in every human culture on earth it's a rule that says we are obligated to give back to those who have first given to us we have to say yes to those we owe so the implication is if we go first and give benefits advantages services favors gifts information valuable information to people they will want to say yes to us when we ask for something from them Uh, there's a wonderful little study that was done in uh, mcdonald's restaurants for example that showed that when Uh, they were doing a study in Brazil and Colombia at certain McDonald's locations. When families came in, the children received a balloon, right, a little gift for the kids. Mm -hmm. Half of them got the balloon as they were entering, the other half got the balloon as they were leaving. Those families who got the balloon when they were entering bought 25% more food, hmm. right? You go. You have to go first. And if you do, people are ready to give back. So that's the principle of reciprocation.
0: You know, I, I kind of liken it to my own, um, you know, situation where if if, if I'm asking uh, a client of mine, for example, to give to a charity that I support for, you know, and so I'm asking them to do something. I guess i'm more inclined in the future if that same client comes back to me um you know months later and and ask for something something from me um you know i've already asked them for something i kind of feel like an obligation to reciprocate does that does that make sense it
1: does and it even applies to concessions if you're in a negotiation and you make a concession to somebody else they will make a concession back to you as a consequence so it's a way to make things work for people so they can agree.
0: You can't, you know, you you really can't get without giving, I think is what the takeaway is on on reciprocity. And that makes complete sense to me. Let's go to the second core factor, um, and that's scarcity. What do you mean by scarcity?
1: People want more of those things they can have less of, right? If things are rare, scarce, dwindling in availability, that makes them more attractive to others. And so for limited time appeals or limited uh, supply of certain kinds of things, we only have a certain number of this product at this price, uh, uh, that that sort of thing. Those are very successful. That's actually that last one, limited supply. The single most powerful uh, approach, persuasive approach online, giving people that evidence. What, what if you have a lot of product and so on? What can you use to get scarcity working for you? You point out what is unique or uncommon about your offer, your organization, what your case to make. And it may not be any one feature. It may be a combination of features that nobody else can provide bring that to the surface, and people want what you have significantly more.
0: And would this be the reason why um, so many retailers for so long uh, have clearance sales or uh, you know, special bargains that they're offering for only a, a limited period of time?
1: Exactly, because within that limited period of po- time, you've given people a special reason to move in your direction that they may not have had before.
0: Got it. All right. Third factor is authority. What do you mean by authority?
1: What I mean by authority is expertise, knowledge, credentials on a particular topic. And we all have those, uh, but it's not easy to make them available to people because we seem boastful if we do. So what I'd like to do is be sure that people who have genuine expertise and authority in an, in an area, show that before they try to be influential, but not in a face-to-face conversation. You can send people a message, an email, or a letter ahead of your interaction with them saying, I'm looking forward to our meeting on Thursday on the topic of X. My background and uh, credentials on X are as follows. And you can give them a copy of your resume or you can link them to your LinkedIn profile and so on. So before they begin, they know your genuine authority and they defer as a consequence.
0: Does being prepared for a conversation, doing your research, having knowledge, um, does that also tie into helping you appear to be authoritative on a topic?
1: It does, and there's a particular way to show that preparation uh, that seems uh, counterintuitive. That is, when let's say you're in negotiation, you're 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 making an offer based on the uh, the requirements that it's going to cost you to present to the other side. Right? And let's say it's $75,000 is what's going to be there. But you've done your homework and you realize that the costs to you are $75,078. Uh, right? You typically lop off the $78 in your budget request. Hmm. That's a mistake. Because if it's there, people say, oh, this person is an authority on the pros and cons, the costs and expenses. This person has done his or her homework. And even though it's more money, research shows you get more assent to that number, less pushback, because it's not a round number. It's a specific number saying you've done your homework. You know what you're talking about here.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, Bob. I also my my one of my kids is a uh, is an engineer, and um, he works for a big engineering firm, and he's a technical guy, um, you know, more so than anybody else in our family, and yeah, but he also has a really good social skills. You know, he's a social guy, he likes to, he a lot of friends, and he he has this sort of like skills that I, I I don't ever see him being like a lifelong engineer. I see him selling engineering services because. He, I, I do believe he will have the technical authority to go out and speak to prospective clients because he knows what he's talking about yeah. and that will come across. And that combined with the social skills, obviously, I think will help him in those conversations. So I guess authority is, is it's about knowledge, isn't it? And about It's about knowledge and showing your knowledge. And one way to do
1: it is confidence. Right. And it sounds like your son knows how to do that.
0: Yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. Okay. So to recap for all of you guys listening so far um, to influence a conversation, we've talked about three core factors so far are uh, reciprocity, which means you know, giving, if you want to, you know, if you want to influence a conversation, you have to be prepared to give up just as well as getting um, number two is, you know, to influence a conversation, you have to show scarcity of what you're selling as it is to, to drive up that, that sort of uh, desire. Uh, to, to buy from you or to, uh, to, to take your word on something. And finally, the third of the seven core factors is authority, which in the end means knowing what you're talking about. And you can do that in advance of a conversation or by the way you conduct your conversation, doing your homework. All of those things will influence somebody else to work with you, to buy with you, to partner with you. If those three core factors are in place, but we still have four more to go. So the next factor, Bob, is commitment and consistency. So what do you mean by that?
1: People want to be consistent with what they have already committed themselves to, especially in public, Hmm. by what they have said or done previously. So, for example, there was a study done in a restaurant in Chicago that was having a problem of no-shows, people who would book a table and then wouldn't appear. And the uh, proprietor of the restaurant, a man named Gordon Sinclair, was a student of the influence process. And he asked his receptionist to change two words in what she said when she took a booking for a table. Previously, she had said, please call if you have to change or cancel your reservation. We've heard that many times. Gordon asked her to add two words, will you please call if you have to change or cancel? And everybody said, yes, of course, sure, glad to. They made a commitment, Hmm. and no-shows dropped by 67% immediately.
0: So you know it's funny I, I misread this a little bit at first when I thought when I saw commitment and consistency, um, at first I thought okay, we have to demonstrate our commitment and consistency, which I'm sure is very important. but is what you're saying that you should be talking you know asking the other party to right. to to commit to what you're trying to do?
1: Exactly. there's a motivation inside all of us to be congruent with what we have said or done in order to have a good image and also to feel good about ourselves, right? So for example, if you're ever leading a meeting for your team and you're assigning tasks for people before the next meeting, don't let anybody out of that meeting until you say, will you be able to properly finish this task by our next meeting Hmm. and pause let them say yes if they say no that's good too that tells you oh you've got to give them more time or more resources but if they say yes you have significantly increased the likelihood that they will follow through because they've committed
0: in that's powerful you know people generally like to do what they say they're going to do right and not all of us follow through uh but most of us do and and you're right when when we come out particularly in front of a group Uh, or at least a witness and say yeah i I do commit to doing that um you've influenced that person by having them agree right well the next factor five out of seven is liking i think i know what this one is but tell us what that's about you
1: you know what it is because everybody knows that we prefer to say yes to those people we like right but there are two very small things you can do to significantly increase the probability that people will feel a sense of rapport with you. One is to point to genuine commonalities that exist, mm-hmm. uh, similarities, parallels between you. There was a study done of negotiators who were bargaining over email and because of e- email is such a bloodless communication mm-hmm. channel, in 30 percent of the cases they were deadlocked. Everybody walked away. Nobody won from that negotiation until the researchers asked them to send some information back and forth to one another about themselves. Tell us where you went to school. Tell us uh, what your hobbies are. What are your interests and so on. They passed that information back and forth. And once they got that information, stymied negotiations dropped from 30% to 6%. And when the researchers looked inside the information that they sent, it wasn't the amount of information that they sent that was the key. It was whether there were commonalities in there. Oh, you're a runner. I'm a runner. Right. You're a, an only child. I'm an only child. Whatever it was, it was those commonalities that led to the connection that led to ascent.
0: You know, it's it's. Um... So I live in the Philadelphia area and I was born and raised in Philadelphia. My clients are in the Philadelphia area. So when I go out to see people, prospective clients and existing clients, um, one of the first things I do when I walk into someone's office is I kind of look around to see like where they went to school in Philadelphia. When you say, where did you go to school? You pretty much mean where you went to high school, They're not yeah, college. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I can tell if it's a local high school or a college I know. Uh, one client I was just at a few weeks ago had a picture of himself and his kids when the Phillies won the World Series a thousand years ago. And yeah, you, know, you just, you look for those connections with people. Um, I always thought it must be tough if I were to move to a different city. Like if I were to move to Denver, I would have so. Much, I would have to be more hard pressed to find those commonalities. With but somebody. you know what
1: allows us to do it now is the internet. It where does. LinkedIn have, on social media, they tell us all kinds of things about themselves. Yeah. On LinkedIn, they have profiles. We can find that information and find something that is in common.
0: Yeah, yeah. We. I agree. I have to. So on the top, before we move on from liking, I do. Um. I just you know, I close more deals, and I have much better report with clients that I see face to face. You know, I mean, there is and I don't know if that's old school or just a reflection of my age, but I feel like there is there is very little that can be done to replace just face to face human contact. And I think that is part of your your core factor of liking. Yeah. Um. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I believe that's the case because that's how we evolved as a species, to interact with people. That's the people we know, we are familiar with, we can predict, and we trust. So if we, if we separate us, there's, a, there's a, a wall of unfamiliarity and a lack of confidence that breaks down when we get to meet and, and know people better.
0: We have two more. We actually have one more core factor. And then our bonus one that was included in your new book. But the next one that was from the original set of six is consensus or social proof. So what do you mean by consensus and how it impacts influence?
1: Yeah. So when people are uncertain, they don't look inside themselves for answers of what to do next. They look outside one place they look, that we've already mentioned, is to authorities, to genuine experts on a topic. So if we can give people evidence that we're an authority or existing highly credible uh, authority vo- voices are recommending our product or our idea, that's a step up. But there's another place we look, our peers, people around us, like us, right? They're information, the number of stars they've given to a particular product, the number of uh, people who are buying this product, the popularity of it, all those kinds of things significantly increase the likelihood that we will use that piece of information as a shortcut to what is likely to be a good choice for us to do in that situation. So that's what we call social proof or consensus. Yeah. I can give you an example, for example, in a, a study done in China of uh, people uh, in, a, in certain restaurants, the proprietors put little asterisks next to certain items on the menu, and that caused the purchase of those items to go up by 13 to 20% for each item. What did the asterisk stand for? It said, this is one of our most popular items. That's all. They became more popular for their popularity. Well, we all have most popular models, most popular features, most popular payment plans, right? We just need to point to them. It's, an, it's a shortcut now for people to move in that direction.
0: What does the impact of media have on that? In other words, um, do you feel that, that if, if my company gets mentioned in a newspaper article or, or uh, in a news report, is that, does that figure into having sort of that acceptance level that you're talking about, that social acceptance?
1: It does. It says you have a profile that's high enough for the media, the news people to want to come and talk to you or talk about you. Um, it also says something about your uh, level of expertise or competence or success. So you get the authority principle working there as well.
0: Okay, guys, so I'm going to recap our six core factors before I have Bob talk about his newest one. Uh, again, to influence a conversation, reciprocity is one thing. Again, if you want to get something from somebody, you have to be prepared to give it up. Um, scarcity of what you're talking about also influences a conversation. So if, if you're trying to convince somebody to, to buy something from you, um, showing that it's scarce or that it's only available for a limited time, that has an impact on people's decisions. Having authority in your conversation also impacts. So when people are talking to you, they get the sense that you're knowledgeable and that you know what you're doing and you've done your homework. Um, Asking for the participant, for the other person you're speaking to, to show their commitment and consistency. Um, As Bob had pointed out, if you're in a meeting uh, and you're asking for people to do certain things, you you don't just tell them, but you do ask them and you ask them to respond, you wait. So they, they actually verbally say, hopefully in front of other people, yes, I am committed to doing this. Um, being likable is important and looking for common things that you can find that uh, will you know, happen to connect you in some level. Maybe that's something that you find about them on social media or uh, like in my example, when I'm in somebody's office, I, I tend to look around for certain things that I can make a connection to. Like, oh, you play softball, I play softball too. Uh, and consensus. Uh, you know, having other people that you know agree, or you, that that if you're speaking to somebody, um, they can tell that other people have have used your product or or worked with you before. They've given you likes on social media. You've been mentioned uh, in the newspaper before. That also shows authority. Having you know you know a, a social consensus also will have an influence on the person that you're talking to. So those are the six core factors, Bob, that you had been working with for a number of years. But in your new book, you now talk about a seventh core factor called unity. So what what do you mean by unity?
1: Unity is the sense of belonging to the same category or partnership. Uh, uh, it's the sense of togetherness with somebody else, that we we share um, a, a category membership. Um, and so, for example, um People are much more willing to say yes to a request for a survey that comes from a university that was, that's in their state compared to one that's from out of their state. If they feel like they're part of the same unit, they want to say yes. And there's a very interesting way for us to, as business owners to use that strategy, and it has to do with co-creation. The idea that we ask our customers, our clients, even our future prospects to help us create the newest version of our products and services. Uh, we have a new model or we want to improve an existing model. And we ask for our customers to weigh in and tell us what they think would be best. And they, they partner with us in mm-hmm. that process. All right. That has been wildly successful as a marketing strategy, but it turns out there's one word that we can use to optimize the effect of that co-creation experience. When we ask people to give us their input on this uh, uh, new product or service or improvement, we typically make the mistake of saying, can you give us your opinion on this. Here's why that's a mistake. When we ask for someone's opinion, we get a critic. Hmm. I'm going to suggest we change one word and instead of asking for their opinion, we ask for their advice. When we ask for someone's advice, we get a partner. We get somebody who's working with us in a collaborative way toward that goal. And the research shows if we use the word advice instead of opinion or even feedback, the, re- the newest research shows the same thing happens with feedback. We get critics. Right? If we ask for advice, we get a partner hmm. who gives us a more favorable and more helpful set of um, comments about our idea, our new product.
0: That means that if you're going to, if you're, if you do accept unity as a as a big factor and in influence, you also have to accept that you're going to have to collaborate with somebody, maybe even compromise if you're going to be involving somebody else and asking for their their advice. Is that true?
1: Right. Of course, you you have to take their advice, uh, and I mean you don't have to count noses, and but you have to take into account. What the people are saying and be sure to employ the best of
0: those ideas right and does this does this tie into you know when when we're doing projects we i I do um uh, technology we sell like software and um sometimes we're we sell into big organizations and uh you know you might have the vp of sales who has to sign off on the project but we're working with you know some of their reports like a sales manager um, and i always thought it's important to to bring in the sales manager and collaborate with them on the proposal that we're doing right so when it ultimately gets presented um to the decision maker if we want to influence the decision maker's decision um, it's a collaborative effort in other words yes. right we're, we're presenting almost a joint document is, is yes. does that is, is that what you mean by unity too
1: i do that's a brilliant uh way to um arrange for unity and that is if you've got the sales manager collaborating with you partnering with you and you're presenting it to the vice president now one of the people who is presenting that is one of them that person exactly. is of them. That's what I mean by unity. It's not just being similar to somebody in tastes or preferences or styles. It's being sharing an identity or a category, right? Because we say yes to people who are one of us. Right. Well, you've just arranged for one of the vi- vice president's co-members In that company, to be an advocate,
0: right? Brilliant. All right. I I know we have limited time left, so I just I have two two questions for you um, to to wrap this up, Bob. Number one, um, your first book came out in nineteen eighty four. The average age. I know I'm dating you again, right? Uh, The average age um, of the U.S. the majority of, of business owners in this country, according to SCORE and the Small Business Administration. Um, the majority are over the age of 55 still, yeah. right? I mean, that is just the demographic. So, and I think a lot of business owners, you know, read your books back in the 80s, but we're we're still out here and still doing our thing. What? How has your model of persuasion changed since 1984? What is different today versus yeah. 30 years ago, 40 years ago?
1: So I'm going to give you uh, two quick answers. Okay. One says it hasn't changed and one says it has. Okay. The way it hasn't changed is that those principles that we just talked about, they're still the same. You know, the book Influence is called, by many people, the, the Bible of, of e-marketing, electronic yeah. commerce. Electronic commerce didn't exist when it was written. And people say, well, how could you look far ahead and see this? I didn't look ahead. I looked in. Hmm. What are the things that have always moved people, have always moved members of our species in a fundamental way toward yes? Those are still the things that are going to be in the future because they're features of the human condition. So that's how they're the same. But here's how it's different. The Internet has made one of those principles much more accessible and available to us to use and that's the principle of social proof or uh, consensus. We now have the, avail- the ability to look at the responses of people from all over the world in the way that they have experienced a product or service, how they've rated it, what they've said about it and so on on various review sites and because of that I saw an article that said that people who are a regular uh, shoppers on the internet that always buy by, uh, by electronic means. 98% of them check the product reviews before they buy. Gene, hmm. 98%? We can't get 98% of the people in the world to believe that the earth is round. <laughs> but we get 98% piling into this principle because it is now so available to us. Right. In ways that it didn't exist before the internet.
0: Uh, my final question. Uh, you know, I've read your books a number of times, and the main reason why, don't take this the wrong way. It's not that they're it's not that your your influence book is so great, which it is a great book. It's just that I forget, you know, I mean, I, I can't. um I read it and I want to make notes to myself and remember, and then you go back to your life or running your business, and you you don't have those sort of core principles in your mind, it was hard enough remembering six and now you just added a seventh. Um, what advice do you give to your students for employing these principles in their, their day-to-day lives? Are there, yeah. are there any exercises, are there any tools that we can use that would help us keep these sort of front of mind?
1: Yes, it, but it it's not a quick thing. It's, we we have a workshop that's online, on demand. It's called the Principles of Persuasion Workshop where we teach people how to use these principles most effectively while being ethical at the same time in ways that are built in to their strategies in performing their everyday business interactions. So if you went online to our site, influenceatwork.com, there would be availability for a workshop that, allows you and even your um, employees mm-hmm. to learn how to be uh, automatically effective in what you do. So it's the first thing you you think about and the first thing you prioritize in your business interactions.
0: Dr. Robo Cialdini is the three-time New York Times author of Influence and Persuasion. His newest book is Influence, New and Expanded, adding to the over 7 million copies of his books that he's sold so far, and I'm sure many more to be sold in the future. Uh, Bob, thank you very much for this conversation. Again, as I said earlier, you've you've always been one of my heroes. I love your book and uh, will continue to read and reread it. So thank you very much. Well, I
1: enjoyed it, uh, Gene, I have to say.
0: I'm glad. And I always, as usual, always learn a lot. Always learn a lot. Everyone, if you'd like more advice and tips for running your business, please uh, visit us at the uh, Paychex Business Series Podcast or at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Again, my name is Gene Marks. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and uh, we look forward to joining us on uh, our next. Take care. This podcast is Property of Paychecks, Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.